What's up, Ayush? Hello. How's it going? Pretty good. That was a very evasive way to answer the question. <laughs> well, I'm just really full right now because I had a very, very filling meal of chicken biryani. So I'm just letting it settle down. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not Trader Joe's Indian food, is it really Indian food? Indian food is fake. I swear to God, there's like no spice. It's not Indian. It's a white take on Indian food. And that's just basically just having plain boiled chicken. That's what white food is to me. Plain boiled chicken. That's what I know and love. <laughs> All right. Well, so this week's episode was mainly going to be about Lebanon. And we had gotten a few requests about this, and moreover, it was in national headlines the past few days and past few weeks. So I'm pretty sure everyone's heard about the recent Lebanese bombing that happened. Not really a bombing, but it was moreover an explosion. explosion. And in the aftermath of the situation, a lot of the people in Lebanon were calling for an overthrow of the government because they were failing to handle the situation. And that led to the Lebanese prime minister eventually announcing that he was going to be stepping down. And this like instability that's been pretty apparent in Lebanon over the past few weeks has been actually a factor that's plagued Lebanon ever since its independence in post-World War II. So in post-World War II, France finally let go of its control of the Lebanese colony. And they were like doing pretty well after that, but like France still had its troops area in the region. But after a few international pressures from the UN, they eventually like completely left Lebanon. And what happened in the region was that because Lebanon is unique uh, in, in, in the Middle East, because it has a very dominant Christian population as well as a Muslim population, it kind of resulted in different minority groups trying to claim power in the region because before it was always that like the French appointed leader would be it but now you actually had like fair elections for the first time and yeah. it was creating a lot of like conflict that was slowly brewing up yeah and for for a little bit they were able to kind of keep that uh on the down low and their economy and society was overall doing pretty well for a bit but it's just hard to keep that up when they're just such fundamental tensions. Yeah. And at the same time, like during this, like, um, like they're trying to keep the situation like calm, the Palestinian authority that was originally in Israel, but like, because Israel was like persecuting um, Palestinians, they ended up moving to Lebanon and they basically established their own like mini state inside of the southern half of Lebanon. So they had their own security, they had their own welfare area, and basically they were a state inside of a state. And a lot of the Lebanese like national government fell undermined. And this is kind of what led to the first sparks of the civil war that like plagued Le Lebanon for the next few decades. So like I said, there's a lot of minority groups in Lebanon. And because it's a very Christian Muslim heavy population, the Christian heavy like population, the Sunni heavy population felt threatened by um, the Palestinian Authority moving in uh, to uh, southern Lebanon because they actively engaged with Israelis also on the southern border. So they uh, kind of launched a offensive against the Palestinians 
And at one point, while like some Palestinians were on the way to Beirut, which is like the capital of Lebanon, like 22 of them were killed by Christian gunmen. And that is like the exact turning moment when the civil war started. Because just hours after that, the complete capital of Lebanon went into full out warfare and that spread to the rest of Lebanon as well. Yeah, and so we, we were chatting before we started recording. Uh, so I think I got down the different groups that were involved in this war roughly. So I'm going to say them as like a test for myself. Uh, can you just correct me if I get anything wrong? Yeah, definitely. There were like so many sides involved that it actually took us quite a bit to try to map everything out. Yeah, so yeah, just correct me if I get something wrong. So one of the big ones was something called the Lebanese National Movement. Uh, and they were basically like pan-Arab nationalists, and they were generally, you know, kind of far left. And then at first there were some tensions, but they ended up allying with the Palestinians for part of the war. Uh, and then there's the PLO, which was like the main Palestinian group, which was predominantly Muslim Palestinians, but there were some Christians involved. Uh, and so, yeah, and they were mainly at war with Israel, but then everything got involved. And then there was like, uh, and yeah, the Lebanese national movement was Sunni militias mainly, and then there were Shiite-specific ones um, for the other like main branch of Islam, such as Hezbollah and Amal were some of them, I think you said. Uh, and they like got support from other countries like Syria and Iran. And then obviously there is Syria, which, and this part really confused me, they were called by the Lebanese government, but then like turned on them and started occupying the country. Uh, and then Israel was like at war with the Palestinian and because sort of a, the enemy is my enemy, the enemy, my enemy is my friend. They like allied with the white ring, like Christian groups. And then you had the right wing Christian groups who are basically trying to get rid of the Palestinian and like Islamic presence in the country. And then throughout all of that, you had the central government that was basically just trying to be like, hey, everybody stop fighting. Is that, is that more or less the war? Yeah, basically, there were so many different sides and so many countries that got involved. It was kind of like a proxy war at one point, but it also wasn't because like there were a lot of people like it was like a war and another war and then they eventually combined to one war and it, it was just really confusing especially it's confusing because a lot of the alliances that were established at the beginning of the war kind of broke up later and then like there was a lot of backstabbings that also happened within these like situations because you saw that Syria was called by the government and then it ended up betraying the government just two years later so like they just needed that approval to get involved in the region. So none of these like alliances really lasted more than a few years. So like I said, in 1976, the Syrian president was like actively called upon by the Lebanese president because the Lebanese president had actually spent a little bit of his um, vacations in, in previous years in Syria. And he was actually seeking refuge there for a while as well because of some stuff that he had done in the past. So the Syrians ended up like, like sending in over 2000 troops and they ended up siding with the Christians and like the main government to help control the Palestinians and the Sunnis in the region. But by 1978, like I said, just like two years later, the Syrians ended up backstabbing the Christians 
and pursued their own goal of taking over the capital of Lebanon and eventually the entire nation. So, however, at the same time, like as Donovan mentioned, the Christians and the Israelis were like allies because the enemy of the enemy is my friend. So um, Israel ended up pushing in to try to stop Syria from taking over Lebanon because they had significant interest in the region, also trying to squash down the PLO and trying to squash down um, just like the Muslim population there. So they ended up like pushing into Syria but after UN pressures were applied just internationally, they ended up leaving the region. But when they left the region, they gave a lot of their bases that they occupied and took from like the Palestinian Authority and took from a lot of different areas. And they left it all towards the Christians. So the Christians had like a very dominating power in the region. So is Israel gave it to the Christians and not like UN peacekeepers? Yeah, it's it's really weird because they were supposed to give it to UN peacekeepers, but they just like didn't listen. So that created more conflict in the region because now they were like, hey, they're not listening to the UN. Why should we listen to the UN when it came to other minority groups? So at that same time as well, when Israel finally left the region, because they had devastated like the Palestinian Authority, and the Sunni population so much, they basically fell out completely. And the PLO ended up like fleeing over to Tunisia to base their new operations. Like what happened within those groups and like the other countries that were supporting them when they just fell apart? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, when it came to the PLO, because like Israelis completely marched in and took over everything, so that's why basically they lost all of their authority in the area. So that's why they had to move. But when it came to the Sunni uh, group that was in charge, um, their leader was assassinated by Iraq because Iraq kind of like went in and started like a rogue group within their organization that eventually took them over and they assassinated them. So you see that Syria is already involved and now Iraq has like inserted themselves into the situation. This is no longer just like a Lebanese like religious war. Now it's more like, hey, who can take over Lebanon? And yeah, so that same proxy group ended up trying to assassinate an Israeli diplomat later on and that failed and it really heightened tensions with Israel. So Israel was like, hey, we're not listening to the UN agreement anymore. We're no longer like backing out. And they pushed in with like 60,000 troops and they took over like so much of Lebanon in such a small time. And this is like mainly the part where the Palestinian Authority kind of left the region because they literally had nothing after 60,000 Israeli troops just pushed in and took over everything they had. And, um, peacekeeping troops were also deployed from the EU and USA in that region and things finally calmed down until the leader of the Christian group was killed by a Syrian proxy group. Once again, Syria is getting involved and like they were allies with the Christians earlier but they ended up assassinating the Christian leader later and that led to like massive protest and massive like killings and that once again reignited the war that was starting to calm down because like the EU and USA had sent in peacekeeping troops so now these peacekeeping troops were fearing for their safety 
because the uh, Christians ended up massacring many like Muslim Lebanese like civilians at refugee camps. And when you looked at the end of the day, a lot of people ended up blaming Israel because the Christians and Israel were allies and Israel just kind of like like sat aside and just turned a blind eye while the Christians were doing all this because uh, Israel was giving them a lot of the weapons that they needed. So it's really confusing because if you kind of look at it chronologically and just like look at all the alliances, you can see that the Syrians, the Israelis, and the Christians were all allies at one point, which is really weird, <laughs> thinking that like they have very different motives in the region. Yeah. Uh, another thing is those killings of refugee uh, in refugee camps, they were specifically targeted to uh, Shia Muslims uh, primarily because the government of Syria was primarily Shia. Um, and so throughout this, most of this like war in the power vacuum that was happening, Shia Muslims were generally either kind of forced to ally um, with either the Syrian government or the Palestinian Authority. But by this point, uh, Iran had started playing a big role and was backing a group called Hezbollah, which is like a still big deal now uh, in the Middle East and in Lebanon. Um, and basically Hezbollah became the dominant military force for Shia Muslims in Lebanon. Yeah, yeah. And it's like really interesting because Iraq was trying to do the same thing that Iran had done successfully with the group Hezbollah, but they weren't as successful because they caused so much Israeli retaliation. But Iran was a lot better funded. They had a lot more resources. So they were able to give Hezbollah the resources they, they needed. So while Iraq was taking most of like the like fire from Israel, um, Iran's like proxy group in the region was like doing their own thing. And eventually they became very powerful and they ended up fighting against Israel, bombed US embassies in Lebanon. And they gained like a lot of international recognition of being like a terrible, terrible group. So then eventually the civil war starts to end up calming down when the Taif agreement is negotiated. So this made it so like all these different like militias and religious militias that existed ended up like putting down their arms and became political like organizations instead that were seeking like um, a little bit of like recognition within the government and a little bit of representation. And the, this agreement also resulted in free elections, which was something that was not happening for years and years. And that meant a lot for the Lebanese citizens. So Syria and Israel actually remained in Lebanon, even though this agreement was negotiated. So that kind of like really undermined most of the agreement. And even though a lot of militias and organizations ended up putting down their weapons, Hezbollah was allowed to keep its weapons because the Lebanese government felt like, hey, when we were at your lowest, you defended us against Israel. And that like is something that we'll never be able to like fully repay you for. So the least that we can do is let you keep your weapons. And they would re later realize how big of an issue this was. Yeah, because at this point, Hezbollah, it, it also has a, or Hezbollah has a political party, which is like a small to medium political party in terms of elections in Lebanon, but because they also have their militia part that is heavily armed, they have a really outsized influence over Lebanese politics, and that has created a lot of problems because they can't anger them too much, even though they're not that big of a group because they're a heavily armed group. Yeah, yeah. So slowly over the years, with like Hezbollah still being active, 
like international pressures were being applied on Syria to leave the region. So eventually Syria negotiated to leave Lebanon and that was the end of that. But you can still see that Israel and Hezbollah were still very active in the region. And because the government didn't necessarily put down Hezbollah when they had the chance, they basically spiraled into an organization that like is gonna be in Lebanon for a very, very long time. Yeah, especially since they're still getting support from Iran. Yeah, yeah. And like now that I'm pretty sure Iraq has also started to support Hezbollah and it's just like a whole mess in the region. It's just really, really, really bad for just like the Lebanese government and just everything that's happening there. Because I believe that Hezbollah controls like a third of the country now, just in terms of like actual land. Yeah, something like that. Like not officially really, but with their controls. And you yeah. know, after the war, you know, Lebanon had a period. Like, it was a fairly long period of relative peace, and there were some promising signs. But when when you most of your political parties were just earlier like having a war against each other, it can make it hard for them to actually effectively govern or you know come up with compromises and stuff like that. Yeah, and that kind of like leads us into going back to the explosion that just happened like a few weeks ago. So apparently it was almost like 2,500 tons of ammonium nitrate that was being stored in a warehouse in like the Lebanese dock in Berwit. And the issue was that the Lebanese government had found it in a counter-terrorist operation over six years ago, but they just kind of left it in a warehouse And the government could have easily gotten rid of it, but because of that newly formed government having inefficiencies and instability because they were at war with each other just like a decade ago, they were unwilling to really get to a compromise and properly deal with it, which is a major reason why these protests were happening. Yeah, and there's there's various accusations of corruptions and, you know, different political people just not actually talking to each other even though they were supposed to because like when they confiscated this fertilizer the people on the docks like started the proper process or it seems like they at least started the proper process and then there are just weird interventions from higher ups and it's not really certain where it originated that like stopped this process of getting rid of it but somewhere along the line it just completely broke down either because of corruption or incompetence or just people not talking to each other yeah yeah and like ammonium nitrate because they found it on that counter-terrorist operation it can actually be used to make fertilizer or it can be used to make explosive so even though they originally found it for being like being used to make explosives it had been apparently like found out that like that ammonium nitrate was being like stored in the warehouse to eventually go to farmers so they could use it for like fertilizer, but they were just trying to negotiate with the government to try to get it for a cheaper price or just for free. So that's why it had been like sitting in that warehouse for so long. And it eventually caught a spark and that's why it created such a huge explosion. So it was really this idea of instability and like a lack of efficiency within the government that really stemmed from the beginning of the civil war. Yeah, and now the the prime minister has offered his resignation and is calling for new elections to get a new government. Um, the, the president seems, and they have a prime minister and a president in their system, the president seems a little more reluctant to go for new elections, um, but it will be ultimately 
it remains to be seen what is going to happen if there will be new elections and who will win those if there are. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like the future of Lebanon is definitely really crazy right now because right before this explosion happened, which caused like billions of dollars worth of infrastructure harm, they were like facing a currency crisis where they lost like 80 to 90% of their entire currency value. And like in the explosion over like 75% of the nation's grain reserves were completely wiped out. So this is a nation that's currently struggling from a hunger crisis or like because most of their citizens can't get proper food, especially because of COVID making it a harmful thing. And with the explosion on top of that, that's really created a free fall in their economy where it's just spiraling out of control. And because the explosion actually caused a lot of like civilian damage and harm, these hospitals that are taking care of COVID patients are now being overwhelmed with patients who were damaged in the blast. So something unique that happened is that Israel, which is a, like a very long time enemy of Lebanon, was willing to take up a lot of like Lebanese patients who like were harmed in the uh, explosion. So that's just like a very nice gesture that even in like the worst of the worst times, we're willing to help you even if we were once like enemies. Yeah. Uh... It's definitely going to be hard times for the country of Lebanon, especially since it's going to be hard to rebuild without a port to import materials. Um, but their their leaders do seem to be starting to respond slowly to the man from the people. And I think, you know, Lebanon is not like without hope. I think there's a lot of energy from the people there that could bring about real change in their country and return them to a place of stability. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because they have the ability to go back to a flourishing economy, which they once had. It's just that, like, the government has been so interlocked with, like, Hezbollah and everything. So they just need, like, massive reform. And if that happens successfully because of this COVID push that's been calling for a protest and stuff that happened very recently in April and has been happening once again after the explosion, they really have the, like, the energy to have that social change that they've been desiring. Awesome. Awesome. Any final thoughts or concerns, Donovan? Um, you know, it's a cause worth supporting, I think, helping uh, various charities going to Lebanon. Just make, if you choose to do that make sure you're choosing a good charity or a good organization um and i hope things work out for the best there and most places around the world mm -hmm. definitely definitely well thank you guys for tuning in to our episode about lebanon and just covering a little bit of the history and what led to the current events that are happening in the region and if you have any suggestions for next week episode just leave it down in the comments below or you can personally contact one of us but thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you have a great day, guys. Peace. Peace.